We are continuing on in our study of Revelation. We finished chapter 6. We're on to chapter 7. I want to do a little review of chapter 6, and that's the first thing in your notes. And you'll remember that seals 1 through 6 were found in chapter 6. And then I mentioned that seal number 7 is found in chapter 8. So we're in the chapter in between the 6th and the 7th seal. And that's kind of important to realize. But I want to go through the six seals, and we'll fill in some blanks in your notes. And I mainly want to re, kind of refocus, reestablish the timeline of the seals. Because we can, we can get a little off in our timeline and then things don't make sense. But here's the timeline. So seal number one, peaceful beginning. Remember, this is when um, the Antichrist does take control, but it's probably in a group of people and no one knows who he is. He hasn't said what he's going to do, but he does it politically. So the Antichrist and those who are working with him take control, and it's a worldwide control. It's not just control of the United States or Europe. It's worldwide control. He's done it politically without any violence or anything like that, and that's going to happen within months of the rapture. Probably within two or three months, that will be completed. So it's going to start right at the rapture. The rapture is the signal that the tribulation period has begun. Within just a few months, this, this peaceful worldwide government will be established. It will build over time, but it will be in existence, and they will be in control. And I want you to realize that this is going to continue on for about three years. So seal number one is very long in its time period. Not a lot dramatic takes place. Basically, there's a new government. Everyone's excited about it. Everything seems to be going well. The news will be talking about worldwide peace and about the leaders collaborating together and resources being shared, and it's going to look really good. And, and this is all something that God is allowing to take place. We need to remember God is allowing this to take place. Now, the reason this is significant is because it does happen right after the rapture. The rapture will turn the world upside down. The rapture will leave chaos in place for a little while, and that's, that's the mechanism that brings this government into place. But everyone in the world will know that millions upon millions of people disappeared. And there will be explanations, and some will be right and some will be wrong. Some people will give an explanation that benefits themselves as they're trying to, to gain some money or authority or reputation. But many will recognize it as exactly what the Bible said would happen. The rapture takes place. All the believers of the earth are lifted away. And then they're left on their own. This continues on for three years or so. Not because God's figuring out what to do. But because God is allowing mankind time to figure out what to do. This is a time for reflection. It's a time for reaction. And it's literally God's grace being extended to mankind. So the rapture wasn't judgment. The rapture was a wake-up call where God said, Hey, listen, pay attention, I'm real. Prophecy is being fulfilled. You're going to have to give an answer for yourself very soon. Let me give you some time to think about it. So he gives them almost three years, three and a half years. And, and, and many will choose to follow Christ. Many will go to their Bibles. Many will go to their old church's website, if you will. Others will say, well, Grandma talked about this. Mom talked about this. Dad talked about this. My brother tried to teach me this. 
and they're going to go to the scriptures, and they're going to see the gospel, and they're going to give their life to Christ. And, and that will be many, many, many people will do that. Others who have already been on a trajectory of, of, of agnosticism or atheism or rejecting Christ will just continue to do that. And that will be the, the majority, and that will be those who are excited about this new government. So seal number two comes about three years after the rapture, and it's a hostile takeover. Seal two, three, and four happen uh, pretty fast one after another. Uh, they're, they're even intertwined. The hostile takeover, we can only speculate, but perhaps those in power start to let their human nature take over and they want more power than they've been given. They're less willing to share power and authority and resources and try to take it for themselves. Whatever happens, it causes the Antichrist to step up and now he uses force, violence and, and force, and he takes over this government. So the government that was already established, that was peaceful, is now militaristic. It's a hostile takeover. And there's a new message there. Why does, why does God allowing this to take place? Well, he's, he's kind of bringing to the surface uh, human nature. And he's bringing to the surface what Satan has to offer for those who recognize Satan is behind this. The result of the hostile takeover, that's going to take a little while to, to take place. But it's a, it's a worldwide issue. So worldwide violence, worldwide battles, worldwide death. And the result of this is that everyone is now suffering from what's happened and a famine takes place. So seal number three, God reveals an extreme famine. And you can read all about those details. That's three to three and a half years after the rapture. We're, we're nearing the halfway mark. And seal number four reveals the, the result of all this. And I think it was, it was war and it was famine and it was disease and it was wild animals, and one-fourth of the world's population dies. And so God is saying to the people who think this new government is good and this new way of doing things is, is a good idea, he's saying, hey, this is what Satan brings you. Satan brings you death and destruction. And so that's the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Most of it was sort of a peaceful time where the Antichrist was establishing his authority. Seal number five comes, and seal number five is kind of, oh, by the way, did you realize, revealing. And so it, it happens right at the three-and-a-half-year mark, or excuse me, it happens during the first three-and-a-half years, but it continues into the last three-and-a-half years. So it's, it's kind of, this has been happening, and it's going to continue to happen, and we see a group of people who have been martyred, or murdered, executed, because of their belief. So a lot of those people have said, oh man, this God is real, the Bible was true. And, and they believed, they start living their Christian faith, and those who are opposed to them start killing them. And this is not only going to be something that's allowed, it's even going to be endorsed. Where we're reading, we're reading other places, we'll get there where, where it's brother against brother, father against son, where family turns in family because... The, the divide between God and Satan is, 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 is greater and greater. Eventually, you're either uh, a follower or an enemy, depending on which side you're on. That's how you look at it. And so this, this martyrdom takes place, and all these people gather before the throne of Christ. And we talked about that last week. And then we have, right at the 
the end, seal number six. And seal number six um, would represent about 85% through the seals, six out of seven. And I want you to notice it's past the six-year mark. So just like seal number one kind of lasted a long time, well, this, the results of seal two, three, and four lasts about another three years. So now we have chaos and battle and friction and, and enemies within families. It lasts about another three years. We're past the six-year mark when all that stuff took place we talked about. Let me read it to you. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole earth, excuse me, the whole moon turned blood red. And stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So all that takes place. And this is, this is not a this, then that, then that, then that. This is a all taking place at the same time event. And so the greatest catastrophe that's ever struck the earth takes place. And then we have the sixth seal. We have the response. The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in the caves among the rocks and the mountains. So mankind as a whole hid from God and called out to the mountains, kill us because we're not going to serve this God. So they recognize God as is doing something, is, is calling for them, and they say no. And we have so mankind rejecting God. So we've, we've gone through all this process, and we are literally months from the Battle of Armageddon. We're literally months from the very end. I would guess three or four months from the end. Maybe up to, up to eight or nine months, but I've guessed three or four. And so seal number seven is opened in chapter 8, which we'll get to maybe next week. And seal number 7 opens, and then things just come rapid fire. So the last three to six months is rapid fire. God pronouncing through the trumpets and then pouring his wrath out with the bowls. So that's, that's the sequence of events. And so now we're at chapter 7. The sixth seal has been revealed, and then there's this pause. There's this lull in the action. And so number one in your notes, under context of chapter 7, this is another pause in the action. Think of it as the calm before the storm, a time of inactivity and quietness from God for reflection and decision making. So once again, God has, is stopping what's happening so that mankind, those who haven't chosen yet, those who haven't taken the mark of the beast, those who haven't pledged themselves to Satan's regime, those who are still trying to figure out, those who are in the middle, he's given them one more chance. And he said, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you some calmness here, and you better decide now. Because as we know, and if they read, they know, this may be their last chance. They may very well be some of those who die when the trumpets are blown and when the bulls are poured. And so he's saying, this is your one last chance. So now I want to read chapter 7 before we continue in the notes. Follow along with me if you would. Revelation 7. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or on any tree. Think of the calm before the storm. It's metaphorical and it's real. Okay? 
Then I saw another angel come up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. Then I heard a number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now I want to back up a minute. Even though we haven't studied them, if you have your chart, if you were here when we passed the chart out, there's more on the back table. You'll notice the first three or four trumpets match really well with what these angels are going to do. They're to prevent any wind from blowing on the land and the sea, to harm the land and the sea, and then the, the, the trumpets are blown, and that's what happens. So, so God is stalling progress. He's stalling progress. He's saying, wait, just, we're going to just stall for a minute. Think about what's happening. Think about what's going on. This is now your chance. This is your chance to, to know and see. And then we're going to move on. So that's what's happening here physically on the earth. I'm not going to read chapter, uh, verse 5 to 8. You can read that. It's 12,000 from each tribe. And it says they're sealed, which means they're set apart. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but they're, they're set apart. They, they've been identified and set apart. And then verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then the elders asked me, These are the white robes. Who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them from his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So two things happen there. And let's go back to our notes. Chapter 7 reveals two prophecies that must be and are being fulfilled. Why must they be fulfilled? Because God said they would be. Anything God says will happen, must happen. We don't wonder if it's going to happen. We might wonder when it's going to happen. But we can be assured that if God says it will happen, it will. So these things must be done. And then I, I added to your notes, and are being fulfilled, because what we're reading is not the complete fulfillment, but God is showing us how they're being fulfilled. So number one, the first thing, God reveals that there are 144,000 full-blooded Jews that have been saved during the time of the tribulation. How do we know they're full-blooded Jews? Because their tribes are listed. The Jewish people are are grouped by tribe, and if they're not full-blooded, they lose that identity. And these people, God said, these are 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. That means 
that even today, whether they even know it or not, there are, there are true Jewish bloodlines that have not cr even crossed the lines of their tribes, and they are full-blooded. Now you say, that's maybe hard to believe that there's 144,000 full-blooded Jews in the world today because they've been dispersed, and they've been gathered together, and they've been persecuted, and there was the Holocaust, and all this stuff. How is that even possible? Well, I checked the great Google, and it said to me that there were 15.3 million Jews on the earth today. 15.3 million people who claim to be Jewish by nationality. And so I wanted to know how many percent of, of that 15.3 million is 144,000. Now I know my math has come under scrutiny in the past. But I checked and I double checked. So the best of my knowledge, and this is going to be close, 144,000 is less than 1% of 1%. Less than 1% of 1%. That makes it sound really doable. That's, that's all we need. And so, so God is setting them aside. Okay? They're saved during the tribulation. How do we know they're saved during the tribulation? Because all the believers were removed at the rapture. So the, the second after the rapture took place, there are no believers on the earth. Now, an hour later, a day later, a week later, there could be thousands again, people who respond to God's message. But at that moment in time, there was zero. So these 144,000 full-blooded Jewish citizens were saved after the rapture. Okay? So, let's continue on A. This means, or excuse me, the means of fulfillment, fulfilling Romans 11, 25 through 27 is revealed. And when I read that to you, I'll just read it real quick. Romans 11, 25 through 27. This is uh, Paul writing to the Romans. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Uh, basically, Paul saying, hey, the Jews are, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and God's just let them do what they want to do. And, and right now, we're, God's kind of concentrating on the, the Gentiles. That's what it says there. Okay? And in this way, or because of this, all Israel will be saved. Now, he goes on and he says, As it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. Remember, Jacob is Israel. He's going to turn godlessness away from Israel. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So, there's an Old Testament prophecy that says that, that God will redeem Israel. They will turn away from their godlessness. And it's a covenant. It's a promise. He's going to take away their sins. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, Paul tells us that all Israel will be saved. And we think, how will all Israel be saved, even during the tribulation period? Well, now, we have 144,000 full-blooded Jews, 12,000 from each tribe. That's a nation. And so we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God has saved the nation. Has he saved it at this point? No, because there are other full-blooded Jews on the earth. There are also other Jews who will become believers. But what we know now is that the mechanism of saving the Jewish nation is in place because at the Battle of Armageddon, all unbelievers this time will die. So 
One second after the battle of Armageddon is over, there will only be believers on the earth. And 144,000 of them will be Jewish people. Now when it said that God sealed them, what he said was, I'm going to protect them. I'm going to save them. I've specifically chosen these 144,000 full-blooded Jewish people, and I've sealed them, I'm going to protect them, I'm going to save them. They will live through the tribulation, and they will be the Jewish nation as I enter into the thousand-year reign of Christ. So B, 144,000 saved Jews represent the restoration or the saving of all Israel. So in other words, when the thousand-year reign of Christ begins... Only saved Jews will remain, and there will be at least 144,000 full-blooded Jews. These ones in particular, because God has sealed them. So we learn from chapter 7 that God is fulfilling this promise that was made long, long ago. Number two in your notes, the other side of your page. God reveals the fulfillment of the prophecy that people will be saved, will be saved from every tribe, language, and nation. But where does that come from? Well, we're not going to look at these. I've given you enough information in your notes. You can look it up later. Genesis 22, 17 through 18. God gives a promise to Abraham, and he says, Through you, all people of the earth will be blessed. So all people will be blessed. That's kind of vague. We wouldn't necessarily call that a promise or a prophecy. I mean, it is a promise, but it's kind of open-ended, not very specific. But we'll build from there. In Daniel 7, 14... Daniel prophesies that all nations and peoples of every language will worship Jesus. So, through Abraham, all people are blessed. There will be people of all nations, peoples, and language who worship Jesus. Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. So, in these three passages, we have identified this, this vast number of people described in different ways who choose to follow Christ. Those who are blessed, those who worship, those who remember and turn to the Lord. None of those are the prophecy, though. None, none of those are the prophecy that's being fulfilled. They're just leading up to the prophecy. The prophecy is actually in Revelation 5-9, which we just read a, a couple, three weeks ago. And it's in the throne room. It's where before the letters were written. It's actually after the letters were written. I'm sorry. Revelation 5, 9. The, it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. Talking about Christ. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now we have prophecy. Now we have promise. There will be people worshiping God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So just two chapters earlier in the Bible, but nearly seven years earlier mentioned, now God is saying, this is, this is how I'm fulfilling this promise. Matter of fact, he says, I am actually fulfilling this promise. It may be that every tribe and language is represented here, and he has fulfilled it. But more will be saved. So this is still in progress. So also, uh, worthy of note here, number one in your notes, the group has increased as the tribulation has continued. So we read about this group of people, and it, it says, After I looked, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. 
Remember earlier, it was, it was just people in front of the throne. It wasn't described as a great multitude. That was six years ago, nearly seven years ago. So over the course of six years of tribulation, it's gone from a bunch of people to a great multitude no one could count. And now the added description, every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of God. So this prophecy is fulfilled, but it's not complete because more will be saved from these languages and, and these people groups. So number two, and that number has increased. That was the point there. Number two in your notes, they're not just waiting for revenge. Remember before they said, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our deaths? You know, and as humans and maybe as Americans with our sinful nature, uh, God says, well, it'll be a while longer. And we kind of picture them sitting down, folding their arms and frowning. And like, well, I'll just wait. Right? Because that's what we do, right? Well, I'll just wait then. But that's not what happens. They're not just waiting for revenge. We read here that they're also worshiping. In verse 10, it says, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They not only worship, they're initiating the worship. And then the angels respond, and then the elders respond. So they're worshiping and they're serving. Verse 15 says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. So they're worshiping and they're serving. Later on we're going to read that they'll come back with Christ, that's in Revelation 19, for the final battle, the battle of Armageddon, and then they will rule with Christ in the thousand-year reign of Christ. So last week I said they were a unique group of people. Now we learn just how unique they are. They're not just in a different place. And, and waiting for something special. Now, we know what those things are. So there are a group of people who have responded to Christ, and they are receiving their reward. Number three, they are just as redeemed as any other believer. This is what God says to them. Never, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This, this mimics other descriptions of believers in heaven. And what God is saying is, this number of people is increasing. They, have, they are from every language, tribe, nation, and people. That, that promise is being fulfilled, and, and they're just as redeemed in anyone, as anyone else. They're not second-class citizens because they weren't saved when the rapture took place. Matter of fact, they kind of get a little special treatment because they overcame the evil of the world and were saved during the tribulation. And then God says, I have a special role for you. I have something special to do with you. So they're just as redeemed as anyone else. And I want to point out that it fits everything we've talked about. The, 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 the rapture and the tribulation, it's all about getting people's attention. And so now we know that that multitudes beyond counting have responded to the gospel and have become saved. So that's kind of chapter 7 there. What, what have we learned? Well, number one, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. You know, uh, we look forward to the rapture, and, and I bet half the people don't know what the rapture is, and I bet a whole bunch of people outside the church could care less what the rapture is. 
And I bet there's a whole lot of people that don't even believe the rapture is going to come because we've been waiting for it for 2,000 years. Well, God will keep his promise. There will be a rapture. And God will keep his promise that every tongue, tribe, nation, and people will be saved. And and they will hear the gospel. And God will keep his promise that, that he loves us and his goal is for as many people as possible to be saved. So he keeps his promises. What does that mean to us today? Well, there's other promises he will also keep. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, he says uh, seek first the kingdom of God and I'll take care of your needs. He says a lot of different things. He says, come to me requesting forgiveness for your sins and I'll forgive your sins. Make me your Lord and I'll guide your life. God keeps his promises. We just, we just see that evidence. Number two, Everything God does has something to do with the salvation of mankind. Even in in this chaotic time of the tribulation, it's all about showing people who he is so they can hear the message of salvation and receive salvation, have their sins forgiven. This is his goal. This is not his punishment. Hell is the punishment. This is his calling. This is him screaming... Follow me. And, and we look back, and we, with that in mind, we can look back at all kinds of stuff. What was he doing here? What was he doing there? Well, everything we read in the Bible is about salvation. If it weren't our responsibility to share the gospel, there's no reason why we would still be here. Because everything else can be done in heaven. So then number three, what have we learned? Kind of the application here. The only response to God that brings anything other than spiritual death and destruction, which happened to include physical death and destruction, is repentance and surrender. The only response to God that, that brings anything other than bad stuff is repentance and surrender. So let's flip that around. Repentance and surrender puts me in a correct relationship with God. It's not what I know, and it's not what I think, and honestly, it's not even what you believe. It's what you do with what you know, and what you do with what you believe, and what you do with what you think. I believe there's a God. I believe he's all-powerful. I believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do. I hope I get a front row seat to watch it. That is a response that takes you to hell. Okay? I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. What a guy! That's a response that takes you to hell. I believe Jesus was a great man, said a lot of good things. If we all just followed his teachings, the world would be a better place to live. And and we all need to do that so we can quit arguing about everything and get on with life. That's a response that takes you to hell. Repentance and surrender is when I say, I will change who I am, how I live, how I think, how I behave. I'll change my motives I'll change everything about me to come into alignment with Christ because he's offered to forgive me of my sins and my sins will take me to hell. So yeah, I'm motivated by heaven. I'm motivated to stay out of hell. I'm motivated to have my sins forgiven, but repentance and surrender is the mechanism. I give you control of my life. I accept your salvation which comes with your lordship. You get to be in charge. Number four, every other response to God is a rejection of the gospel 
and a refusal to be forgiven, resulting in an eternity in hell by your own choice. If someone ever says to you, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? How could a loving God put his creation in hell? The answer is, he doesn't. God allows you to choose, and if you choose hell, he will honor your choice. So no one goes to hell except by their own choice. And God continually puts before mankind, there's a better choice, there's another solution. Gain forgiveness of your sins. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So repentance and surrender is the answer. And, and these people that cry out, Oh, let the rocks fall on me. They're not repenting. They're not surrendering. They're saying, do what you're going to do, because I'm not going to follow you. And these people who are saved, they are saying, do what you need to do. I believe and I'm going to follow, and if it costs me my life, I'm still in. Because at this point in time, if you believe in Christ, you know it very well may cost you your life. Because you're seeing believers all around being executed and being murdered because of their belief. So here's the question for today. Have you been choosing... To get by by your own merit, or your own strength, or your own goodness, or your own whatever, fill in the blank. Have you been choosing to get to heaven on your own, so that when you stand before God and he says, why should I let you in, you list your accomplishments. I'm a good person, I did good things, I never killed anybody, I, I, I was a part of the uh, PTA, and my grandma, she was, you remember, you know her, she was a good one, right? Yeah, okay. Um. Whatever you say, the only answer is, because I trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, and I made him Lord of my life. So the question is, if you've been waiting, or you've been confused, or you've just chosen not to for whatever reason, are you ready today? Is today the day? Is today the day where you say, I repent? I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change the way I live. And you know what God doesn't say? He doesn't say, oh, good, I need more perfect people. He doesn't say that. He says, good, I'm going to help. I'm going to help you change. Sometimes change is quick. Sometimes it's slow. But change does take place. And, and God's just waiting for that opportunity. So I can say to God, I can say to God, I need forgiveness of my sins. I do realize that I'm a sinner, and I realize that your holy standard requires that I'm going to go to hell one day because of my sin. But I also believe that you have offered me forgiveness, so I choose to accept that forgiveness. And in choosing to forgive, to accept that forgiveness, I make you Lord. So I repent, and I believe, and I surrender. If you've been waiting for that time, or you haven't, and now seems like a good time, I would encourage you to do that. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I, I'm just going to do this, and we'll be done. And if you want to surrender to Christ, if you want to make him Lord of your life, if you want your sins to be forgiven, yeah, and get the benefit of, of heaven, then pray this prayer with me. I'll just say a line or two. If you agree with them, you say them to God. You do not have to say it out loud. God can hear you from the inside. Let's bow our heads.
For anyone who needs to pray this prayer, here's the prayer. Dear Jesus, I have done lots of bad things. You call it sin, and I am guilty. I deserve to go to hell. But I believe Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so my sins could be forgiven. I repent of my wicked ways and I surrender my life to you. Help me change the way I live and help me change the way I think. I accept your forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me. I now belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now for all of us, Father God, I thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for an opportunity to talk about salvation. And Lord, if there is anyone here today who's, who's not saved and didn't say the prayer and didn't mean it, I pray that they would just continue to consider Continue to think about needing forgiveness. And Lord, if someone did, uh, give them the, just the courage to tell someone. And I trust that anyone they tell will be genuinely excited for them and welcome them into the family. Thank you that you cared enough to send Christ Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you that you make this forgiveness available to all of us. Father, help us to live for you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.